Welcome to the Arcananth podcast. It's your host, Michael, here again. And this is the podcast all about the study of people, young and old, and in some cases, even prehistoric. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce to you Dr. Julie Dunn. Julie, are you there? I am. Hello, morning, Michael. It's nice to talk to you. It's nice to talk to you. And uh, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Bristol in the UK, which is uh, sort of southwest. Yeah. Is Bristol nice at this time of the year? Uh, no, not really. It's quite um, cold and wet, <laughs> I'm afraid. Right. So uh, I first came across your work online and I had noticed that you had a paper published in uh, Nature. Um, the title is uh, Milk of Ruminants in ceramic baby bottles from prehistoric child graves. And I was just really fascinated by it. And I think uh, a lot of people uh, were, were really uh, captured by it. Did, were you surprised by all of the attention that it received? Um, I think the answer to that is I was and I wasn't. Um, in some ways, I wasn't because um, firstly, the vessels themselves are the most extraordinary little, obvi uh, little objects. Um, they're very small and, and they're very often shaped like little mythical animals, creatures. Mm -hmm. um, and they are very eye-catching. They're absolutely cute. Um, you can see that it, they could be something that you could, um, you know, use to feed babies today. Sippy cups are sort of made to look cute in the same way that these are. Um, <laughs> and, one of, and, and, and the other thing about it is, is um, that there's so little archaeological information on children in prehistory. We really know very little about them, about what they were fed, um, how they were brought up, things like that. So I think it really just captured the public interest. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we dig into that science, I would love to know a bit more about uh, your background before this. Like, well, where did you grow up and where were you trained in archaeological chemistry? Yes, yeah, so um, I actually grew up in, in Devon in the West Country. And um, I'm a bit of an unusual archaeologist in that um, this is a second career for me. So I used to be an accountant and um, then I retrained to become what we call a biomolecular mm -hmm. archaeologist. I did that here at Bristol. Um, and it, it's just really been a question of following my passion. I love archaeology and it's great to be able to interpret science with the archaeology to, to get at some of the questions, some of the things we want to know about how people lived in the past. Mm -hmm. and, and what made you... Um you know, when was the point that you you decided that you're you're going to switch career? Like, what was what was the um, instigation for that? Um, I think it was uh, a few years ago. I'd gone on a couple of um, Earthwatch projects. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're an organisation where you can go and um, sort of. Uh, it's almost it's kind of like a holiday, but you go and gather data for scientists. And I realised immediately that was. Uh, that, that, I, that I really loved that. Um, although I liked my job before, um, I really wanted to find something that, you know, I, I really loved doing. And so I realised that was my thing. And I realised that it was to sort of any humans and archaeology and so on. That was the thing that really excited me. So that's what put me on the path to archaeology. Mm -hmm. When you were training, were you training alongside um, a lot of other scientists who had a lot of other students who had um, switched careers? No, not at all. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think I was the oldest, um, <laughs> definitely. Um, but it was really nice. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, we all got along very well. And um, I would kind of help them with the things that I was better at. Um, and they mm -hmm. would help me with some of the, 
the harder stuff that you know they've just been doing in school whereas i'd forgotten a long time ago <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and um what about were you training alongside a lot of other uh female scientists as well or being trained by female scientists yes i mean one of the nice things about the lab here in bristol is that um uh, there are a lot of women scientists and that's something you know i'm, I'm really pleased to be part of because all too often i'm afraid um in many science departments women are still in you know found in far lower numbers than they should be mm -hmm. so but this is a great department yeah mm -hmm. i bet um and so yeah. now you're here and uh, more, more specifically we're, we're looking at children uh in the past and their behaviors or, or how they were taken care of um can you set us up in terms of uh time and in terms of geography yeah so what we were looking at was um prehistoric infant feeding vessels or baby bottles as we call them and um, we know that they date back to what's called the Neolithic. So Neolithic means New Stone Age um, in Europe. Um, and the earliest ones we know of um, are around about 5,500 BC. So that's about 7,500 mm -hmm. years ago um, in central Germany. Um, but these very early ones are really just found on settlements. What we went looking for were some that were found in children's graves because our reasoning was that if they were found in children's graves they would have to be baby bottles as right. opposed to anything else the reason for that is that although people had known about these for quite a long time and thought yes they're probably baby bottles there was also the suggestion that they could be used to feed the sick or the elderly mm -hmm. we were looking at with some from um the bronze age through to the iron age and this is in the region um, bavaria so, so southern germany um, and beginning round about 1200 BC. Mm -hmm. and these were the earliest ones we could find in, find in children's graves. And um, be, before this evidence, did we know a lot about uh, childhood diet and lifestyle uh, from other artifactual evidence? Uh, we, well, we knew virtually nothing. Um, the only thing we knew is a study from a colleague here at Bristol, actually, who gathered some um, data from on weaning of infants um, from various sites across Europe and that told us and that's looking at the signals in children's bones um, that told us that mothers were weaning children between the ages of about six months to two years mm -hmm. so we knew that but we didn't know anything at all about what type of foods they were weaning them on to mm -hmm. Why? Why? Uh, what is weaning uh, for those who who don't know, and why is it so important for us to understand weaning uh, timing in in past societies? Mm, it's very 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 important. So weaning is when um, mothers start to introduce supplementary or additional foods to baby's diet. So around about the age of six months, um, the mother's milk, uh, up until that point, provides everything. And, and infant needs, but after that point, um, child, child needs what we call supplementary feeding. Um, mm -hmm. And so that food would certainly vary across um, different types of human groups. So, for example, we know that hunter-gatherers um, uh, tend to wean their, their children um, quite late and also onto uh, things like plant foods and, and mm -hmm. chewed up meat. And that's really because of the availability of, of, of particular foods. Our prehistoric people, babies that we're looking at, so these are the children of farmers. So what's available to these 
uh, parents is animal milk and also cereals which could be cooked into sort of mm-hmm. porridges. Um, so a listener uh, of the podcast, uh, Naomi, she wanted to ask you how much did the weaning pattern change as a result of uh, dairying? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's it's it's a massive change in human development because, as I say, hunter gatherers didn't have um, milk from animals, uh, domesticated animals, to feed them. Mm-hmm. So once they do have it, um, that's obviously the the logical product to feed their children. Um, it, it's tremendously beneficial for um, infants, although it's not it's not perfect because milk is species specific. Um, and so there can be problems associated with feeding um, infants animal milk. Um, it's obviously better for a baby than a um, plant, the full range of nutrients. Um, so what happens is once people have these foods availability, available, what we see is um, something called the Neolithic demographic transition um, and essentially a baby boom. Um, so <laughs> because... Mothers can now have more babies more often. Right. Can you run us through, you know, overall, perhaps there's there's benefits, like a net benefit mm. in some ways, but then there are also some problems with dairying or, or ha- consuming dairy products. So um, I'm, I'm curious, what are the, the pros and cons to it? Yeah, so there are quite a few um, cons, actually. Um, so it, it, it's, fun, it's remarkable, really, that, um, and, and interestingly, there is a kind of a, a, an odd effect in that, we do see more baby, more uh, infant death at this time, but that's because more babies are born, so more babies die. But um, the, the, the things that, um, you know, are, are detriments are, for example, so as I say, milk, mm-hmm. um, animal milk, it can be, it's not a full replacement for human milk, um, because although it contains similar amounts of something we call, uh, we call lipids um, and more car- carbohydrates, it contains less protein. So it can be cow's milk, for example, is harder for an infant to absorb um, as it contains much larger fat globules than human milk. So the baby would get a a reduced energetic input. Mm -hmm. But um, on the positive side, you know, the the, the feeding to the babies of of, um, animal milk and they could possibly incorporate things like meat-based school that might balance out these nutritional uh, deficiencies. But it does provide an opportunity for um, so infectious pathogens. It could cause diarrhea mm-hmm. uh, and other diseases, which can obviously be uh, fatal um, for young infants. Um, there's also the risk, um, for example, of bacterial contamination from the vessels themselves. Mm. Um, and what also can happen is, of course, this is unpasteurized milk, which we don't drink nowadays because you get the risk of transmission of animal diseases. So in some ways, it sounds like it's quite risky. Right. Um, but ultimately, and, and yes, babies did die, but ultimately more did. So. Right. So so these vessels, they're, they're really, um, I, I've seen pictures of them, and they're really uh, interesting, and they're really, you know, I, I've never yes. uh, seen things like that, uh, or, or maybe I have and I wasn't paying attention, yeah. but... You know, how how unique is it that um, you have found these vessels that are so well preserved? Um, actually, well, it, it, it's the preservation is is um, not unusual because as a as a group, the organic chemistry, we've been working on um, looking at lipids and pottery for twenty to thirty years, and we do find um, fantastically that um, you know the lipids that we're extracting from these pots um, give us lots of evidence of the types of foods people were eating in the past. Mm-hmm. 
um, from milk or meat through to fish or, or plants, even things like um, beeswax and honey. But um, the vessels themselves, I mean, it's interesting, although you know, I've been doing this quite a while now, I, I'd never come across them before. But when you see them, they're extraordinary uh, little things. I mean, they're all, they've all got a very basic bowl-shaped uh, sort of shape, mm-hmm. but what a real testament to the creativity I think of the people who made them is that they vary tremendously. So, if you look at the pictures of them, some of them have got um, two feet, or some of them have got four feet, mm-hmm. and they have little heads and little ears. Um, others are quite plain, but they seem to be quite unique. So, you almost wonder if they're um, I mean, the one feature in common, of course, is that they've all got a spout which the milk can be. Uh, right. You wonder if the people are, are, are kind of um, making these special little things to almost, almost entertain their babies as well as feed them. The, mm-hmm. the, the lovely little things they really are. Yeah, and I suppose um, you know part of their design uh, would be functional, but the other part of the design could just be like stylistic, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean they're people just as creative as us, and, and clearly, um, you know. Uh, I think it shows the real love and care that, and, and attention that they gave to their mm-hmm. Um Another listener and a, a patron of the show, uh, Dee, Dee wanted to ask you, you know, that the vessels, they look difficult to clean. Do you think that the babies and toddlers who use these would get sick because they're difficult to clean? And you mentioned the bacterial contamination earlier as well. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. And, and certainly we do suspect that. I mean, they certainly wouldn't have had anything like the sterilizers or anything that we had today. Mm-hmm. And um, they're full of sort of little nooks and crannies, particularly in the spout. So, yes, I mean, sir, I agree. I think there would have been certainly some element of bacterial contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always love uh, talking to scientists about uh, their research because I, I, we can uh, sort of share the process of, of how it happens and sort of um, demystify all the parts that, that people don't see behind the scenes. Mm, yeah. How did you first find out about these vessels and how did you get brought into this project? Yeah, it was um, real uh, serendipity, actually. I, I um, obviously follow Facebook, and I was following a project um, from my co-author, Katerina Reedbury-Solsby. Um, she has a, an ERC grant on motherhood in prehistory. Mm. Um, so she was really um, trying to examine the relationship um, between mothers and, and infant in, through prehistory, and, and, and she mentioned these little vessels one day on Facebook and said, wouldn't it be great if we could find out what was in them? So I messaged her and I said, well, I think I might be able to help you. <laughs> so, uh, so it was lovely. We got together and yes, this is what, this is what happened. We did end up finding what was in, in the baby. That's vessels. amazing. Um, yeah. So what, what happens when you um, first have access to the to the vessels. So how are you getting that chemical information that you need? Yeah, so um, this was, uh, we did have to treat this uh, project, you know, slightly differently than we normally do because what we normally work on are essentially um, rubbish from archaeological sites, the broken bits of pottery that that people have left behind. But in this instance, um, these vessels are are pretty much mostly complete um, and obviously um, nobody's going to let us bake a piece of pot off and, and, and grind it up, which is essentially mm-hmm. what we do. So we had to um, make a modified sampling procedure and, and I would 
take the vessel and clean a little bit of the surface off because obviously they've been handled quite a lot over the years and, and there were lipids on our fingers. Mm. So we clean a bit of surface area. And then essentially I just drilled out enough powder, ceramic powder, to carry out the chemical extraction on. Um, and what happens is... Um, when you have a vessel, if you think about if you were to have a, a, an earthenware pot and put in some uh, meat and some water mm-hmm. and boil that up, you'd see, the, you'd see fat globules floating on the top. And what happens is they absorb into the unglazed ceramic. And it's these fat globules, which essentially are called lipids. It's these that we are extracting back out um, from the fabric. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yes. amazing. And and so so I'm I'm guessing this is on the uh, inside surface. Yeah, it's in it's inside. Uh, are you chipping it away with a, a tool or? Um, yeah, normally we would um, try and get about two grams worth, and we normally um, just have an ordinary piece of potsherd, which we clean the surface and then we crush it up. This in this instance, I was just drilling off with a, a, a very small modelling drill enough powder and we actually I think we used about a gram because we couldn't get that much out of it. Right. We're just trying to make it as non-destructive mm-hmm. as possible. So it, it sounds really tricky to me. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, certainly very nerve-wracking holding these lovely tiny precious little things and, and then you know taking a modeling drill to them is is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> but the curators were very kind and you know no, we want to do this for the science. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what would you say would be uh, the trickiest or the perhaps, um, you know, a difficult part of, of doing your work? Um, I think oh, overall, um, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's because it's not something I find particularly difficult. Um, I mean, it's always disappointing when we don't get results um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it, I always want to please the archaeologists. I'm always really, you know, looking to to be able to help answer the archaeological question. That's really the hardest thing about the work. Did this happen for this project? No, not at all. I mean, we were failed to find them. Mm-hmm. The milk. We really were. Um, you know, it's one of those lovely projects. So it was such a joy to work on, mm-hmm. really. And then to actually yeah. find that they were used to feed babies' milk was was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And what about afterwards? Do you enjoy the um, analysis, uh, writing, and trying to publish it? Do you like sharing it after it's been published? Oh yes, yes, um, I, I do. I mean, I enjoy all. I enjoy. I very much enjoy being in the lab. Um, it's very satisfying to um, you know carry out the analysis from cleaning the shared right through to looking at the chromatograms we get um, and and getting a. a, a concrete result is very satisfying mm-hmm. and I, yes i really like writing and um and sharing the science is really important um and i work um i i do run also you know um a, a young archaeologist club it's really great to sort of share sorts of things that we do in archaeology with, with children as well hopefully produce some some um archaeologists of the future yeah that's really great are you currently um Men- mentoring a lot of scientists that are coming up in the field? Um, some, yeah, so we have um, it, it project students at the moment, so working on various projects in the lab, yeah. 
um, and it's really good to see see chemistry students um, almost step out of their comfort Mm -hmm. zone a little bit and and use chemistry to engage with the archaeology. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Is is stepping out of their comfort zone something that, um, you know, you hope to bestow on on your students, like a a lesson that you want to teach them to to always challenge themselves? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's really nice um, uh, to sort of, bring this interdisciplinary approach um really good to talk to scientists who do other sorts of things as well and and bring together data from various um other areas you know we work Mm -hmm. closely with um biologists and geologists and geographers Mm -hmm. all sorts of things like that because all of these things can come together to provide information on how people lived in the past yeah are there are, are there other areas of science that you mentioned that you are um, sort of interested in maybe moving into or sort of, um, you know, collaborating with others on? I don't know about other areas of science. I mean, there's still so, there's so many questions um, to be answered, though. Um, you know, I, I've done quite a lot of work in, in Africa and um, in uh, pre- Euro- um, European and um, prehistory in the UK. But there's, there's still just mm. so many questions. Could be doing this the rest of my life. Really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, uh, like ancient Bavaria is not the only context. No, no. There's yeah. There's lots and lots of other things going on, and lots of other time periods. So yeah, so I've got plenty to keep me going. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what drove you to um, <clears throat> be interested in archaeology at an early age? Can you pinpoint something that you were exposed to, or um, you know, maybe books that you're reading? Um, I think when I was younger, I think I suppose I suppose it was probably more history that I was interested in, really. Um, mm-hmm. We weren't really taught anything much about archaeology at all, but I was always very fascinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, medieval times and so on. What do you like to do in your spare time? Are you, um, you know, still keeping, like, watching a lot of archaeology documentaries or, or do you do other things as well? Um, yeah, no, I'm pretty much obsessed with archaeology. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I do do some other things, but yeah, pretty much I'm obsessed. What are your upcoming plans? So uh, we're recording this at the end of October. What do you hope to do um, maybe before 2020 or into 2020? Um, yeah, so I'm currently working on a paper with a colleague um, uh, from the University of Florida. We're looking at um, some ancient herders in East Africa. Oh. Um, so that's something um, we hope to get submitted for publication soon. That's a really interesting story. Um, and, yeah, working on various other things, um, the medieval pottery from Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had some nice results from that. Yeah, there's sort of lots of ongoing things. Really. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. If uh, if people want to ask you questions about this interview or, or sort of follow your work that you just mentioned going forward, can they find you somewhere online? Yeah, sure. So um, they can look at my um, page on the Organic Geochemistry Unit or they can look at my Twitter handle, which is at the pot lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and and you know, I'd be happy to answer any questions that anyone has. Amazing. Yes, it would be a pleasure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, before uh, we go, I like to ask the guests if they have uh, a hashtag for the episode um, to do with something that we've talked about or something that you're passionate about or find interesting. Uh, a good hashtag so that listeners can can use it to indicate they've heard all the interview to the end. Mm, um, I de- yeah, hashtag, I definitely think it should be, um, how about hashtag ancient baby bottles? Ancient baby bottles. Excellent. Yeah. That's a great hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have anything else that we, that you think we should have covered or um, any closing messages? Um, 
no, I don't think so. Um, I think it just made me just to say what you know what a pleasure it was to to work on a project like this. It's really nice to feel a, a, a close connection um, with the people that from the mm-hmm. past, and and in this instance, I think. <laughs> You know, working on the baby bottles really did bring mothers and infants very close. Um, so it was a real yeah. Do you, do you think that uh, other people, other archaeologists in the future will be um, changing their work in some way in light of your study? I don't know. I'd certainly like to see more, you know, infant feeding and so on in the past. Um, and certainly that's something I'd like to work on myself. I mean, we know these baby bottles actually appear in various other cultures, for example, um, uh, the ancient Greeks used very similar vessels as did the Romans um, <laughs> there's uh, some I know of in uh, site in uh, Sudan in Africa so it would be really nice to do a much larger study and, and, and see how whether this pattern holds whether they're all used babies milk or perhaps other foodstuffs we just don't know so that would be something mm-hmm. really nice to look into in the future definitely uh, so listeners if you want to find out more information about Julie's work I will be including links on arcananth.com you can find new episodes of the show coming up on iTunes Spotify Stitcher and anywhere else you find podcasts we usually post new episodes on Twitter Facebook Instagram and Reddit and I just want to say also thank you to all the patrons who support the show uh, it keeps the show going. Thank you so much, Julie, for being today's expert. Oh, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> and uh, come back on the show if you have uh, something else that gets published soon. Yeah, definitely. Will do. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I will have another episode out for you soon. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye.